When I got married, the pastor said something like this. Will you love and cherish her, you know, through sickness and in health, better for worse, until death does you part? If so, say, I do. And I said, I do. And on that day, I didn't know what a tremendous, incredible gift I was getting. Faith is like that. It's when you say, I do. You don't know what's ahead, but you're doing life with God, hand in hand with Him. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community Church, where our mission is to restore a broken world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to ask our ushers to come forward as we give to the Lord of our tithes and our offerings. If you're a guest, we want you to know we're particularly glad that you've joined us. But you, we'd ask you to do a couple things for us. Number one, when that offering bag comes down your road, just pass it on by. We want you to be able to kick back, relax, uh, enjoy yourself, and just get to know us a spell. And we're just glad that you're here. But we would ask if you'd do something for us. If you will look at one of the seat backs in front of you, you'll see a shelf, a couple of Bibles, uh, some pens, and you'll also find a thing called <clears throat> the connection card. And if you would fill that out and let us know that you're here, we'd appreciate that. If you'll leave it at the welcome desk in the lobby, we have a gift for you for doing so. On the back of that card, there's a place for prayer requests. We believe in the power of prayer, and we pray for those cards that come in every week, both as a staff, and then we have some people also who focus in and pray for them as well. If you have a prayer request, you can put it on there. If you want to remain anonymous, just don't write your information on the front of the card. But if you want us to pray for you by name, you can put your information on that card, and we'll be sure to do that. Now, you just watched a video of our baptism service here at Christ Community. It's one of our highlights. We do that a couple times a year. This year, we're doing the spring and the fall, but we're adding on, hopefully, a summer opportunity uh, at a lake or a pond for a baptism service. But we do have one coming up March 14th and 15th, and it's just really a great time seeing people commit themselves to follow the Lord in baptism. And if you're interested in that, you can also put that information and write your name on uh, the, one of those connection cards. Write baptism across to the top of it, circle it, and we'll get a hold of you, or you can call the church offices. Also coming up on March 21st is a real big event here that we have every spring called uh, the Eggs of Scravaganza, and uh, it's March 21st here at the church. It's one of the biggest events we have during the year. You're going to want to register online. You can get more information there as well. Last week, we had some women out in the, in the foyer, and they were passing out uh, postcards. And these postcards were for an upcoming event for women called Cabin Fever, which has taken place on February 28th here uh, in the church. Um, as you know, we didn't get any of those cards passed out last week at this time. Most of us were enjoying our coffee, watching the snow still fall. Um, if you would like that information, we have a stack of those cards out at the welcome desk. Please uh, be sure to pick those up. And one more thing we want you to know about. Just about three plus hours north of here, we have a bunch of our young people, junior and senior hires, gathering at Big Sandy Camp. 
we have over 170 young people, 30 plus staff. They have gathered up there. That's the most we've ever had. Uh, I did youth ministry for 25 years, and I know the power that is there on the weekend at winter retreat because you get the kids away from their comfort zone, get them where they can focus on the Lord and hear from Him, and as well as get to lean in and forge relationships. It's a real special time. And so they've asked us, and we want to take a minute and just pray for them because they're meeting right now. So let's do that. Father, we're incredibly grateful for a church that believes in legacy, that is building into the next generation. And Father, we're excited too for our children and our youth ministries because we are building into them. And uh, right now at the camp north of here, the kids are gathering, they're worshiping, and they're about to open the word. We ask you, God, that you would just do a work and speak to them. That this would be a weekend to remember because it's a weekend that they connected with you. Pray for the staff. We pray for the speaker. We pray for the worship team. We pray for every aspect of this weekend. And Father, we're looking forward to hearing what you did amongst our young people. And then, Father, too, we pray for safe travel as they return home. And I'm thankful for our staff that focuses in on our kids. For Andy, Ryan, Tricia, and her team. And pray you continue to bless them as they build into our future. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We have a special guest bringing the word this morning. His name is Dan Scarrow. He is a human development and organizational strategist. He has spent the last 20 years helping organizations, both for-profit and non-profit, build and deploy exceptional leadership uh, environments. Uh, Dan has uh, logged in over 4,000 hours of executive leadership coaching experience. He has served as a consultant for a number of companies, uh, the Clorox Company, Huntington, um, Pillar to Post, and then a place that I consider pretty righteous, Chick-fil-A. Now, <clears throat> he's also been a church planter, uh, pastor, and he now serves as a district superintendent of the North Central District, and he oversees over 100 churches in Minnesota, North Dakota, in South Dakota. So let's give Dan a warm welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Christ Community, great to be with you. That makes me sound much more important than I actually am. I don't know who writes that stuff. I'm a fellow journeyman with you on this journey, and I appreciate the applause. I've uh, spoken thousands of times, and I've sat where you've sat a thousand or more times, and I know that's hopeful clapping. That's like, Lord, please, make the, we pray for this guy that he doesn't blow it. I am delighted to be here, and I, had, I made the awkward discovery last night that, for whatever reason, this pulpit turns my iPad off. I'm not sure why that happened, but I think we've solved the problem. We're going to talk tonight, uh, today... Uh, about one of the, to me, the most important topics that we can talk about when it comes to our spirituality and our journey together. And every one of us have come here this morning for a similar reason. We all have slightly different nuanced reasons for being here this morning. We like Christ's community. We like the people. We like the preaching. There's probably nuances to that. But every one of us is here for a similar reason, and that is because God is up to something in our lives. He's moving us from where we are now to where he wants us to be. And intuitively, we know that enough to be here this morning. And some of you are here and you've had a long 
history with God, and so you understand who God is and you're walking with Him. Some of you are here just because you're curious, or somebody dragged you here this morning, and we're delighted that you're here. Wherever you are on that spectrum of the journey, it's a journey from where you are now to where God wants you to be. And that, to me, is the most fascinating part of our journey because we're all on it together. We're all making mistakes together. We're all learning about God. We're learning about life, about people. And that presents a number of challenges for us. What I want to talk to you about today is something I've talked about with thousands and thousands of people. But we're going to talk about the scriptural implications of it today. And that is this journey of being in a place where you know you're about to take a step or you need to take a step or there's a new level of growth for you that God wants you to take and the things that are in play when that's happening. For all of us, that's challenging. I love change. The way God has wired me, I'm a person who loves to be at the beginning of something new. I love to climb mountains. We lived in Montana for about 12 years in the middle of the Bitterroot Valley. And one of my favorite things to do was to find a big mountain and climb it. I love new things. But I hate change. I love change. And I hate change. Do you resonate with that? Because change is costly. Moving towards something that stretches you is incredibly costly. About 18 months ago, my wife and I made a transition to Minnesota. We've never lived in Minnesota before, and by the way, it's a beautiful state. In the last 18 months, I've seen almost all of it, put about 40,000 miles on a car seeing it, and I have enjoyed every minute. What a beautiful state. But that move was costly. We left uh, all of our friends and everything we were familiar with, we came into a new job environment, a huge learning curve. So some of you have experienced that. You know what it's like to pick up roots and move. And if it's happened to you recently, you can feel it in your gut yet today. I love change. And I hate change. Are you with me? Here's the problem for every one of us, is that change is the single most common feature of your life. Moving from where you are now to where God wants you to be involves a series, a lifetime really, of changes. And if you're like me and you love change and you hate change, you live in this tension of wanting to be comfortable and yet knowing that you're moving and you're growing or should be growing. Are you familiar with that tension? The problem is, in this generation, it seems to me that the river of culture, and this is not an indictment, it's just a commentary, the river of culture is telling all of us that the main objective of our life is comfort. That we should do everything we can to get as much money as we can, to be as comfortable as we can, to get all the things that we love that make us comfortable. And again, not an indictment, just a commentary. And I would just submit to you, as we begin to talk about this topic this morning, that you may not know that you're being steeped in that culture, but you are, and secondly, that's a lie. Comfort will not make you happy. 
It will not hold your life when life gets complicated and difficult. Comfort as your primary goal is, in the end, a lie that's a little bit like a flat Coke. Have you ever had a flat Coke? A horrible, horrible thing. Now, I like Coke. Uh, amazingly fizzy, sweet, just kind of bursts in your mouth and your brain goes, yeah, give me more. Yes, I'm addicted. But if you leave it in the fridge for uh, a day or two, it gets really flat and you pull it out and you're hopeful that you're going to get that same hit that you usually get and you take a drink and you realize, Oof, what in the world is that? That's what comfort does for you over time. It makes us weak, apathetic, and entitled. And what God wants us to dialogue about this morning, as I sense in the life of your church, you're at the beginning of a massive new beginning for you as a church, but I want to talk to you more about your personal journey and the new beginnings that he has for you. And I want to take you to Joshua chapters 1 through 4, and I know in recent history you've done an extensive study of Joshua, and we're going to go very high level through Joshua and pull out some spiritual observations that will help you as you manage the distance between where you are and where God is taking you. So if you bring it, brought a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to open that. You might have a digital version, or you might have a paper copy, whatever you prefer. Open that to Joshua chapter 1. I want to introduce you to Joshua and his story, because that will be helpful to us as we navigate through this. The biblical stories are tremendous, rich environments for us to learn about ourselves and about life. We're introduced to Joshua in chapter 1, where he is becoming the leader of a nation. And that's kind of a big deal. Most of us in this room are not going to become the leader of a nation, but you're going to have similar things that God is inviting you to step into. They might not be as daunting as leading a, a nation of several million, but nevertheless, they're important. God's inviting you to be a better parent. He's inviting you to be a better spouse. He's inviting you to be more impactful at work and in your life. And those are very similar. And so here we find our new friend Joshua in chapter 1. Let me read this very quickly for you. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, Moses, if you don't know the context, was the former leader of this nation, and he had had good days and he'd had bad days. But now we find Moses has passed on into the presence of the Lord. And the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. What a promise. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong, courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Now this is a tremendous challenge, a tremendous promise, and very few of us are going to have that exact experience, but you understand the implications in your life, and the invitation to you is exactly the same as the one that was given to Joshua. And that is, where you are is not where I want you to stay. 
The plan I have for you is bigger and broader and deeper and richer than you can imagine. And I'm inviting you, says God, to you today at Christ Community Church in Rochester, Minnesota. I'm inviting you to that next step. It's interesting for us to see Joshua's response in verse 10. Scroll down to verse 10 if you would. And this is Joshua's response. So, Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Now here's a critical point before we press into the five observations I have for you this morning. God invited this man, Joshua, the story tells us, to do something unbelievable, incredibly stretching, probably terrified him. And his response in verse 10 is a yes. That's the first and most important thing that you need to realize as you think about what God's doing in your life and mine, is that he's inviting you to be more than you are, to press deeper into humility, strength, godliness, asking you not to lie, asking you to behave as a person who loves God and the world. All of these are challenging, and every single day when you get up, you have to make the same decision that Joshua made, and that is you have to choose to say yes. I love that Joshua sets that example. And honestly, what would have terrified me, he said yes. The question I want to ask you this morning as we delve into some observations in this passage is, what discomfort are you feeling right at this moment in your life that you sense God is up to something and he's inviting you to press into being more? And I don't know what that more is for you. It might have to do with your parenting if you're a parent. It might have to do with your spouse or your future spouse. It might have to do with work. It might have to do with other relationships. It might be neighbors who drive you crazy. I don't know what God is doing in your life, but this is what I do know, is that he's up to something good, and he's asking you to take the next step. That is a truism throughout the entire course of your life. There's always a next step. And when you wake up every morning as a believer... And even as an unbeliever, you can begin to say yes to Jesus, but primarily those of us that love God, when you get up in the morning, you get to say yes or no to that journey of growth. So what is it right now that you sense God's asking you to move forward? Only you know that. I don't know you well enough to know what that could be. So with that question framing our conversation, I want to walk us into the rest of the story of Joshua and make five observations that will we'll bring some very minor application to as we talk today, but it's designed so that you'll take it and, and give application to it today and tomorrow and the next day as you're thinking about this. So here's the first observation I want to make as we press on into this story of Joshua, and that is that God asked him to take this immense step to trust God and move into this future that Joshua couldn't see, but he had to trust that God was in charge of. 
And the first thing that Joshua, and in fact all the people who said yes to what Joshua was inviting them to do, was that they had to reconcile the fact that when they came to the edge of that Jordan River and they were getting ready to step into whatever that new beginning was, they brought with them a tremendous amount of history. See, this is the rest of the story on this particular story, is that this group of people had been here before. Forty years ago, they had been almost in this same spot, probably not geographically in the same spot, but certainly psychologically in the same spot, where God had said, I'm going to take you into all that I've promised you. But the problem was that 40 years ago, the answer had been different. If you know this story at all, they had come to this place, God had invited them, and they had backed away from it. The story is found in Deuteronomy 1.21, and I'll read that very quickly for you. This is Moses, the previous leader of this nation, speaking. He says, See, the Lord your God has given you the land. This is 40 years ago when the first offer was made. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Here it is. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents. You said, the Lord hates us. No, 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 no. Can you read the whining? So he brought us out to Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt with fear. They said the people are stronger and taller than we are, and the cities are large. The walls are up to the sky. So here's the deal, is that every time God asks you to take a step to grow and to become more in him than you are now, you face the prospect of both a yes and a no. And the interesting part of this story is that we get a glimpse into the impact of a no. See, very few of us understand the impact of the no's that we say to God until we're much older. In fact, there's a whole band of research has been done on people who are at the end stages of their life. And you know what the predominant response is? Regret for the things that were not done that should have been done. And very few of us get to see that, but in this particular story we get a glimpse of that where people have said no and they've reaped the benefit, not necessarily a benefit, the consequence of that for 40 years. And they come with all that history to this next yes. You know, when you've gotten in a habit of saying no to, to God, it builds a pattern of history in your life. And there is a psychological weight that you bring to saying yes. Your history is all the psychological, that, and by that I mean the thinking and the emotions, the burdens that are feeding your desire to be comfortable as a primary life goal. All of us have history when we come to our yeses with God. It might be history with the church. It might be history with pastors. It might be history in your life. It might be history with parents. All of us bring that history when God is asking us to take the next step. And one of the most important things that we have to do when we stand at the edge of the figurative Jordan in our life and God says, this is the next thing for you, is that we have to lay that all down before we can step down into that new thing. 
Do you trust God? What's your history with God? When he asks you to take a step into that new thing, to be more than you currently are, do you trust that he's leading you to the place that will make you better, your life fuller, your experience richer? I always find that I bring a lot of history to my experiences with God. And that was true of the Israelites in this story. Before they could cross the Jordan, they had to lay all that down and say, I trust you, God, in spite of everything that's happened in the past, in spite of all the things that have hurt me, I trust you. Step two for us, or observation two, is that whenever God is inviting you to some new thing, pressing you out into more than you currently are, it requires the willingness to step down off the shore into what appears to be impossible. Because all of us as humans cannot see the future. We often cannot even conceptualize what God is up to, but he's up to something good. And from our vantage point, it looks impossible. What does impossible look like for you? It could be a marriage that's whole and sound and a partner who loves you the way you want to be loved. It could be a child that behaves the way you'd like them to behave and is on the path that you'd like them to be on. It could be a family relationship with your parents or your siblings that's broken, and you're pretty sure that's never going to be fixed. It could be a work situation where you get to work in an environment that is so challenging that it's impossible that God could do something there. There's just too many jerks at work. I'm sure you've never said that in your head. What is it that's impossible for you? Whatever new beginning God has for you involves you saying, yes, it looks impossible to me, but I trust you. Joshua chapter 3, verse 9, we see that in this story. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know the living God is among you that he will certainly drive out before you. He's going to do something impossible. That's what he's saying here. He's going to drive out before you all these people. Most of these names I can't even pronounce really well, so you just read them. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Whoa! That's incredibly impossible. So then the people broke camp to cross the Jordan. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. And oh, by the way, I, I love this oh, by the way, in this passage. Verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during all harvest. Okay, one miracle is that the river is just going to stop flowing. And oh, by the way, miracle two is that that's at flood stage. So essentially, if, if the first one doesn't work, you're all going to drown. Whatever God has for you involves stepping into what looks impossible to you right now. So what is it that looks impossible? What is it that you think will never happen? What change needs to happen, maybe in your own behavior or thinking, that you think there's no way 
The one thing you need to know, Christ Community Church, is that God is the God of the impossible. And if you don't believe that, then you should be somewhere else. I presume that your being here is either you believe that fact or you're hoping it's true and you're here to find out if it's true. And I just want to tell you this morning that it is true. I've seen it hundreds and thousands of times that God is the God of the impossible. And the place, here's what's really, really awkward, is that the place that God is growing you is in that tension of, I don't think this is possible, but yes, I believe. And if you're not out of your comfort zone, you're not growing. I'm a little bit of a uh, developmental nerd because that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years with lots of leaders around the country. And there's this fascinating theory, and some of you just won't care about this, but I'll throw that out here for those of you that do. There was a psychologist back in the early or late stages of the 19th century, early part of the 20th century. He was a Russian psychologist. Bogatsky was his name, and he talked about something called the zone of proximal development. And you might not care about that, but the reason it's interesting is that it was a theory that had to do with the fact that if you stay where you are, you never grow. And if you get way too far outside your comf comfort zone and your capacities, you're going to fall over and you're not going to succeed. But there is this window beyond your comfort zone that if you'll step into it on a regular basis, it propels you to grow. And I love that there was this theory that we have known for thousands of years because God said it a long time ago, and that is simply God has always known about the zone of proximal development, and that is if I push you out of your comfort zone, it's going gonna, it's gonna to catalyze you to grow. Now, one, one more detail for you nerds uh, in this area. In the last decade, there's been a body of research around what stress does in people's lives, both good and bad stress. And in Denmark, in particular, over the last 10 years, there's been some fascinating research that's revealed that when you're under stress, not only does it change your behavior, but it actually changes your genetics. There are genes that are activated under stress that either make you better or make you worse and have some really bad consequences in your life. Now, the reason that's fascinating to me, and I, can, I know a bunch of you don't care about that, but here's the deal. The truths of God are so deep that they don't just impact you on a mental and behavioral capacity. They impact you on a genetic capacity. When you lean into growing and you say yes to God on a regular basis, what he's doing is he's constantly making you better at a genetic level. Now, if you don't care about that, that's fine. But some of you need to write that down because that's interesting. There's always impossible things from your perspective that God is inviting you to do. And if you're uncomfortable with that, I want to invite you to get comfortable with it because that is the life of following Christ. Your new beginning, whatever God's doing new, requires you to step into the impossible and embrace it. That's what Joshua did. We get into the, a wrinkle in the story here as we approach uh, observation number three that I have for you. And that is that uh, when you're stepping out into something that is scary and different, 
sometimes it requires a tangible reminder that yes, God asked you to do it, and two, I've agreed to do it. Uh, let's go into the story and we'll talk about this a little bit more. In Joshua chapter 4, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan. Do you ever read scripture and you're reading along, just minding your own business and looking for spiritual feeding, and, and all of a sudden you're like, what? You have that experience? Uh, if you haven't recently, you just need to read a little bit more. Because I have that regularly when I'm reading scripture. What in the world is going on here? And this is one of those spots where we're talking about a group of people crossing a river and, you know, it stopped flowing and all this stuff's happening. And God says, okay, I want you to stop and pick up 12 stones. Yeah, okay. From right where the priests were standing and, and then carry them over with you and put them down in a place where you stay tonight. What's going on there? What's going on there? I, I can't speak definitively about this, but here's my observation, and you can take it or leave it. God is smart enough to know that when he invites us to do something impossible, we may need to be reminded of what he asked us to do. I know, you're like, whoa, that is just rocket science. It's a foundational truth. There's a reason for that. And it, I'll speak to my personality, and you can see if this fits for you or not. But I find that when I've been asked to do something significant, I have a proclivity to do three things that always get in my way. One is to forget. I have an extremely short memory on the fact that God has asked me to do something, that God has been faithful in the past, that God is as powerful as I conceive him to be, and that he can carry this out. Are you with me on that? My attention span is remarkably short when it comes to the goodness of God. Fortunately, I'm aware of that at this stage in my life. The second thing that often happens to me when I've been invited to do something substantial and pushing me out of com my comfort zone is that I get tired. Uh, how many of you have experienced tired in the last week? Yeah, you can raise your hand or not, but I know most of you, the answer is yes. Because life is challenging. And we get tired. The third thing that I'm not really all that happy about admitting, but I, I lose focus, I get tired, and I want to quit. Have you had that emotion? Maybe you've had that emotion this week. As you look at your life and you look at parenting and you look at work and you look at all the things that God has given you that also have responsibilities with them, you think, Ugh, I wish somebody would just shut my life off for about six weeks. Wouldn't that be nice? Or a year? The reason we need reminders when God is asking us to do something, I think, is because of all three of those things. That would just be the observation I make. And you're familiar with the idea of a reminder, whether you realize it or not. How many of you have a ring on your finger that's associated with the fact that you committed to a person some time ago? Yes, many of you do, and many of you might at some point in your life. And the reason we have rings on our fingers is because we are forgetful. In fact, I think... We have rings on our fingers for all the reasons I've mentioned. We forget the commitment we've made to our spouse, and it's easy to try to break it if we're not careful. We get tired of being married. 
There are days when that happens. Let's just fess up to it. And some days we just want to quit. Do you remember the first year of your marriage, those of you that have been married? My wife came with me last night and was sitting right here, and she uh, gave me the green light to tell these stories, so we're good. Do you remember the first year of your marriage or the second year? I don't know when the really tough year was for you or years, but for Lisa and I, the first year, there were moments when it was touch and go. I was like, I don't know if this is going to work, right? Because you're getting used to each other and you're making all these changes and they're weird and you're weird and, whew, it's a lot of work. But this ring says we're going to make it. We made a commitment. And sometimes you just need to reach over and touch that ring and remind yourself, yep, that's true. I have another ring on my finger, and this one is, uh, actually all my jewelry means something. I don't wear jewelry because I like jewelry. I really don't like jewelry at all, but I wear it because I believe in this principle of reminding ourselves of something. And the second ring is my commitment to my children. And there are days when I'm dealing with my fabulous three children when I have to reach over and touch this ring and remind myself, okay, I made a commitment, and I mean it. There's also days when I think, well, I won't tell you what I think. (laughs) You might need a tangible reminder, and that's valuable if God is calling you to something significant. Fourthly, I want to draw your attention to really where we're getting down to the nitty-gritty of the things that are happening in your life, the movement that God is asking you to make. One of the most important things to remind yourself of is that it's not about you. And the reason we need to be reminded of this fact is because every single one of us in this room, and I'm getting ready to insult you, so brace yourself, every single one of us in this room is selfish. And if you're not aware of that fact, and I'm breaking it to you, I'm sorry, but it's true. All of us are oriented towards what what does this do for me? Why is this about me? How can this be about me? How can I make it about me? That's how we're wired. And it's, it's really only in an encounter with Jesus do we begin to understand what a selfless life looks like. So come with me to verse 21 of chapter 4 and read very quickly through the rest of this story. He said to the Israelites in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them. This is where Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. And the Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. This is actually the most important part of what God is doing in your life. And I know you want me and I want me to draw a line to why this is important for me and how this is going to benefit me. And yes, it will. But the most important part of what God is asking you to do is he presses you into something new and different is actually about the impact that your yes is having on the people around you. The most compelling reason to say yes to Jesus is that the impact of your life spreads out in concentric circles from you and it impacts the people that you are closest to and it changes their lives. And if that happens enough times, there's a spreading impact of the kingdom because of the yeses that you make in your life. You know this is true if you've had grandparents or parents who have made significant and healthy relationships and you 
also know that this is true if your parents and grandparents have made poor decisions and led poor relationships because you have paid for that. When God is asking you to be more than you currently are in the sense of growing into something new and stretching, the impact is about you, but most importantly, it's about those who are around you. And those of you who have children intuitively understand this because what you long for your children is that they would have a better journey than you have had. Isn't that true, parents? So, if God is inviting you to press into something new, to, to be more than you currently are, to be more effective as a spouse or a parent or a worker, or I don't know what God is saying to you about the next step, but whatever it is, the impact is going to be so broad, you're never going to be able to calculate it. Because most of the time you won't see it. Observation number five that we're going to leave you with today. When you think about the fact that God is pressing you out into a life that's constantly growing and moving and challenging, there's another thing that happens, and that is when you step off the shore of whatever your comfort is, and I don't know what it is for you, but I know it exists, the place where you're at where you're like, mm, boy, I just really like it here, and yet you can sense that God is pressing you to be more. When you step off that shore, people around you are watching. And they conclude, when you say yes to God, that you believe that God is living and powerful. And friends, that is the most important legacy of your life. I would submit something to you, and don't write me emails about this, because I'm still thinking about this. I would submit to you, that it's possible that God cares less about what you call yourself, whether you're a Christian or whatever that might be, whatever name you, plate you put on yourself, I think God cares less about that than the fact that you would live like you believe He's alive. And in the end, what will define your journey more than anything else is whether you actually lived like you believed God is alive, not the label you give yourself on Facebook or the arguments you enter into about theology or politics or anything else, the label you should wear is, I will live as though God is alive. And that changes everything. It changes everything. As our worship team gets ready to come up for a final song, I want to just invite you to... Consider something that you can see coming, and that is, what is it that God's pressing you out into? What is that next step in your life? Is, is God inviting you to think deeply about becoming a more effective, loving spouse? Is God inviting you to reflect on your parenting and how that could be more effective? Is God inviting you to consider what it looks like to be a godly worker in the place that he has you, even if you don't like it? I don't know what stepping off the Jordan bank looks like to you, but I know it's a new beginning. And God is calling you to it. And the reason I'm here is because I believe that God is up to something good, and if you'll just say yes, 
when he invites you out of your comfort zone, the journey you'll take is something that you can't imagine.